Welcome to the Naturopathic Life and Living Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Francis, where I'm going to be talking about all kinds of things underneath the sun, everything that has to do with life, living, and your healthcare. So hello, Luke. How are you? Welcome to the show. <laughs> Hi, thank you. So today, I am really, really good. Thank you. So today I'd like to be able to have you talk about your experiences and just to give a little bit more information as we're moving more into psychedelics. So that way people can have an idea of the benefits of mushrooms, what they can do for you, why we would want to use them and how it can actually be beneficial for our, our livelihood, the things with this pandemic and how we exist in our families and things like that. Sure. Happy to. I run an organization called Psychedelic Insights. It's named that way because I think that which heals or is of benefit is really the insights that people have using psychedelic. And what we do, how we describe what we do is called the psychological guidance of psychedelic experiences. So we operate in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. We use truffles and uh, truffles are legal now and uh, mushrooms are not. Uh, mushrooms used to be legal until 2008, but actually the psilocybin content of the truffles is more consistent within the truffles than it is in mushrooms. So, you know, I see it as a, as a benefit. The use is not really categorized as entertaining or therapeutic or any kind of way. It's labeled as a luxury food item and we use it in a therapeutic way. We receive clients from all over the world. A lot of people from the US, Canada, UK, Germany, France, Australia, Russia even, and uh, about pretty much from all countries. And people come to us for a variety of reasons. It can really be anything. What we generally do is we assess why, what their motivation is. And we discuss this in a, in a specific uh, intention setting uh, video call about the deeper motivations and drives and uh, it's more discussing the psychology of whatever it is that drives people to knock on our door and with this intention setting ultimately people work with that and think about it and put it on paper and then it becomes more of a live thing and with that in mind people ultimately go into a psychedelic experience with us Generally, we have three calls with clients, with the two guides present. One is an introduction. One is the intention setting, which I just described, which is really about the psychological framing of your motivation. For instance, if someone has been suffering depressive uh, thought patterns all their lives, you know, and they really can't break the habit and, and medication is really not working for them and uh, they feel they're stuck, then yeah, a lot of the science is pointing toward the benefits of these experiences. It's very common for us to see people with those kinds of complaints. Uh, then in the intention setting, the reasons for these thought patterns. I always ask, you know, why do you think this is happening to you? Or where do you think you're stuck? You know, you're coping with this all your life. What are your own thoughts of it? And, you know, do you care to put it on paper and reflect on it? So this becomes more of a live thought. And then with these intentions, people go into the experience. So at one point, after we also had the preparation uh, video call, which is about navigating the psychedelic, the do's and the don'ts and the expectations, we ultimately meet the client. And that used to be in one of our centers. We had one in nature, we had one on the canals in Amsterdam. We paused it with the pandemic because of the travel restrictions. So now every time that's lifted, we see people in Airbnb somewhere in Amsterdam. When we meet, we're no longer strangers. We know what it's all about. And we just take our time to go over everything that was said in all these calls, all with the aim of relaxing and feeling comfortable. 
us with the client, but more importantly, even the client with us. We always come with a male and a female guide. They are mostly psychologists or professional therapists. Ultimately, when client is feeling totally relaxed and everything is done, as said, and there's no more questions, we proceed to taking the truffles. And then generally, uh, yeah, we start off with a guided meditation that takes about 15 minutes. This is really to keep the mind busy in actively relaxing and just breathing instead of anticipating the psychedelic and actually, you know, getting more tense. And that works really well. And it is followed by a very long curated playlist for these experiences, which we set up, you know, over the course of uh, hundreds of client experiences. And uh, yeah, the music actually is like the river of your psychedelic experience. It can be sometimes a bit bumpy, sometimes it can go down, sometimes it can go up. And this really can correspond with how you experience the psychedelic. And it can really uplift your thoughts or sometimes make it a little more deeper. And this is the, what the core uh, of the surface looks like. It generally lasts about four hours and then people come down. There's a couple of general types of responses to the experience. Some are very aesthetic, you know, like, yeah, why don't we put it through the drinking water? <laughs> or, you know, people are really mind blown and they've had all types of very deep experiences, be it mystical or having sort of healings on very multiple levels. But mostly people are just like after if you've done a really, really long meditation you really don't feel like talking because there's really not much to say and uh, you really want to let all the little snowflakes just land and be very silent people are mostly a bit tired because your brain already takes up most of your energy of the body but especially after a hyperconnected brain on uh, on psilocybin uh, uh, and everything that goes on we don't try to ask too many questions we just keep a safe space and we are just there to either support or butler really uh, the client if they need any food or drinks and sometimes they want to talk about specific topics it could be anything that comes up and then we're there for them and obviously sometimes people have thought loops we check on that we check in and say hey how are you doing are you okay and then uh, anything can come back you know so but really pretty much always these guided experiences with trusted uh, guides always have a very positive outcome in our experience but then again you know we cannot make any claims because ultimately it's about the mind of the client and uh, if i've learned one thing it, that it is you cannot crawl into people's minds because everyone has a very unique story and a very unique perspective and life's like a box of chocolates <laughs> <laughs> I have a question then, because you were talking about truffles and you're talking about mushrooms. What's the difference? Well, they're part of the kingdom of the fungi, which is a kingdom upon itself next to the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom. The, the mushroom is the fruit and the truffles are really like the unsprung mycelium. And it's grown in a way that they are really contained. There's only a few kinds that are grown in the Netherlands. I'm not a cultivation expert. I'm more of a psychology expert. And they are harvested at different periods. And there's a couple of different types. And they vary in size. And some, like the well-known Mexican, they have a higher psilocybin content. And there's also called ones called the Hollandia that also has a higher psilocybin content. But in general terms, there's about one milligram psilocybin per gram of a and the variation in the mushroom, which is really the fruit, is higher and it's more consistent in the truffle. Yeah, because I went yeah. to culinary school and so I know that yeah. mushrooms and truffles, uh, truffles are way more expensive than mushrooms are yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, the, in the culinary 
world. Yeah. Other than that, I really didn't know. And then of course, chocolate truffles are completely different. They have nothing to do with a fungus. So. No, not really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you were talking before about the different songs. You were saying it's like the water's flowing through, carrying you through. Do yeah. you think, and, and I don't know if there's a way to determine this, but with the different experiences that you've had with all of the different clients that you've had, does it seem more like the songs dictate what the experience is? Or is it more like the choice of your songs? Does that change the way somebody has an experience? Or is there even a way to test that? Yeah, the this is the case a little bit yeah as you can imagine you know if you're going to play death metal or you're going to have a different experience than if you're going to play mozart you know <laughs> so so uh yeah in the beginning it was a little bit of a uh it's a live experiment my initial thoughts were also based on my own preferences where i prefer more of these very natural breathing or voice type music or flutes or chanting or didgeridoo type things. This is really not, not embraced by everyone and certainly not of mainstream people. So what we have, and we really don't really like to discuss the music and we don't really do beforehand, but we explain that it's going to be a thing. So we don't use songs with lyrics because we don't want to have a mental hook and hijack your mind, you know, or even trigger emotions that you can associate with certain songs. So people might know them. And afterwards, when we discuss them, you know, they might know one or two. But the whole idea is not to trigger the mind into any type of direction and just have them. What comes up is mostly what lies most heavy on your heart, you know? So, and there's the intention setting. And so the music plays a big role in the sense that it really frames the experience. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I like to use the metaphor that the music is the river and you are in the boat. And it makes a little bit of sense. I remember that we had one client and she even was a professional therapist and she had a massage and she did meditation, but she couldn't really let go. And then people start to blame all kinds of external things. And then the music was also one. The music wasn't nice enough. And then we just put up this one specific song and then she suddenly let go. So these things happen and you have certain intonations in this music. Like one song just suddenly stops and it really feels like you're, you know, you're almost under the abyss, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but these things are really, really beneficial. You can't really make it too impactful or dramatic or you start playing the Eye of the Tiger or something like <laughs> really like that, you know. So it's really quite neutral, but it goes up and down and not too drastically. And it doesn't really trigger anything in terms of, oh, I know this or I know that. But some of them are well-known composers of uh, movie music. So that's in there. And afterwards, people always say how impactful the music was for them how important it was this really makes sense many times i've obviously undergone the experience myself also on the music and when i select the music i also use those cyber truffles <laughs> so you can really 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 feel them on a deeper level and really resonate with it and think okay this this i think this is good i think this not good I'm, I'm removing that song so it's consciously curated and pretty much all the experiences and all the feedback that we have are uh, are quite positive good you were saying before the time is about four hours is that the duration of them being in their experience or does that also include the aftercare discussion and integration and all of that no it really is the more of the peak of the experience generally we start at 11 
we come in, we do a lot of talking, we're never on a script or we're never on the clock. We're there for as long as it takes and everyone should feel safe. And then generally uh, we start at around one, around four, five-ish. People start walking around, you know, sitting in chairs, not lying on the couch or in bed anymore. And sometimes halfway through or if people go to the bathroom and come back, they might sit at the table with us. And sometimes you talk about certain things or they want to share certain ideas or things that they're dealing with. Someone can just start talking about their mom. They just want to share a story. Sometimes it happens that people really didn't disclose the full story about what they are doing it for. One time we had someone that was just talking about a difficult relationship with his mother who was living with him and then halfway down the session there's a whole different story coming out about people living as a child in refugee camps that were being bombed and it's like i wished for them that they would have felt safe enough to share it in the beginning but you know obviously we're always there for them everyone is their own worst enemy ultimately Mm -hmm. so we just navigate as we go and one of the things that i think in general is very important for this work is to realize that a lot of people are desperate and a lot of people have been suffering for a long time for a lifetime and when you want to do this work safely as an organization or as a work alone trip guide or can be in a forest or in a clinic or anything there are certain contraindications that safer not to do it generally one of the things you know is borderline personality or bipolar or if you have anyone in the family your bloodline with psychosis it's really discouraged because you really don't know where this can go and uh, another contraindication is using SSRI drugs but it's more about hijacking the serotonin receptor generally you would need more but how much more is really up in the air and you need a pharmacist or medical doctor or a psychiatrist with experience in psychedelics to navigate this space and i don't think the whole field is mature and professional enough to really accommodate it in that way so a lot of times we see people that haven't disclosed a lot of things and all we can do is just have a lot of time with clients beforehand and that's why we have at least two three calls beforehand but still with hundreds of clients there's always a couple that disclose these things when they're coming down everyone feels like you have to be open you have to be pure they want to disclose it and this is all fine with us and then we're also happy that after not disclosing it and having the experience that they still feel really good and safe and they really do have a lot of beneficial benefits that they take away from it not that i want to say that you shouldn't be careful you should always be careful because safety for us is the only thing and that safety goes 360 you know we need that safety because if we are not safe we can't help others if a client is not safe yeah they're their own worst enemy so openness and transparency is really the only way forward if we can manifest that and all you need to do for that is to make it safe enough to disclose everything that that's really going on into your in your mind i can imagine the possibility of if that's something that they're hiding that yeah. that might end up really interfering with the session that if they would have been able to disclose it in the first place they could have had a freer experience yeah. but i'm sure for some yeah. people that's just part of the process yeah you have to imagine that during these experiences it's like your whole heart can open you know it's different for everyone it's different for every time but people in a very open and vulnerable emotional state mm-hmm. that for the first time they are experiencing such a situation and if that is new to you then yeah it can have an effect it can go all directions if it's not guided and if it's at a party and people are playing with you then you get all the bad trip stories that we know from the part in a safe setting in a well-prepared mind those are the best conditions to have a very beneficial experience and i can see why the intention is so important that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get what you say you're looking for yeah. per se yeah. down that road 
but when you have an idea of what you want, then you know which way to walk, so to say. And I think that that leads to a sense of safety as much as you can be, because then you kind of know what to expect when you talk about it ahead of time and things like that. What about with your guides? How do they actually work with a person? How does that work? Generally, people describe it as holding space. Like 99% of the times with us, people lie down on the couch or in a bed. I'll just always say, just make a nest somewhere where they're comfortable. Make sure you've got blankets or a cover and pillows and make yourself as comfortable as you can. Take off your shoes and such. And then with the guided meditation and also the onset of the psychedelic, in this case, psilocybin truffles, the first symptom is that you feel really good. And uh, so that really helps. With the guided meditation, it just looks Cinderella style. People are just lying there like they're going to sleep and it looks really serene. And there's always, well, always, yeah, pretty much always a total relaxation and uh, that can last for the first few hours it just looks like they're trying to go to sleep and there's not a lot of movement either it's very serene until you get about three quarters and then all kinds of other stuff comes on in your mind and you can go really deeper into your experience what ultimately can happen is that these ideas that people cling to and it can be concepts of your own identity or your own self-worth or concepts about the world or concepts about others that your heart Hearts or, or mind, they can be in a metaphorical dialogue, so to say, and that you start to question these things. And a lot of people suffer because of the devil they know. What if you can do anything? And you're worth everything. And uh, you're a beautiful creature. It's all up to you. What would you do? All of a sudden, that's very intimidating, of course. And what if you realize that the world is really not a threatening place, that most people are really eager to help you? Like if you have an heightened alertness or PTSD, these are things that these thought patterns, they just reinforce them. If you let go of this, then those emotional insights or the psychedelic insights, as we like to call them, <laughs> these can be profound changing. And it's not as though people go through their difficulties. It's more of looking at them sideways and thinking, oh, I'm triggered here, but there's really nothing there to be triggered about. You can peel back those internal layers and come to conclusions about your own assumptions and strong convictions that ultimately get to shed light on. And these are the breakthrough moments in these experiences and you do see them reflected when someone is lying down and suddenly you're lying on their side or they get a bit more active and then uh, we also check in on them and say hey how are you doing and mostly people are fine and they just want to be in their process how long does this new understanding seem to stay with people for? Is it like, oh, once I realize this, then that's my new frame of reference now? Or is it like in time, I start to remember how all of these people aren't really safe for me. And then I kind of revert back to my pre-session day. Yeah, all of the above. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And that's where the integration comes in. And it's also, I like to jokingly say sometimes that you're going to clean your room for the first time, unless you started meditating 20 years ago. And then how are you going to feel after? Well, how are you going to feel after once you clean the attic for the first time in 20 years? You want to drop down into your chair. You don't want to speak. You feel pretty good about yourself, but you're really, really tired. Please leave me alone. It's going to be like that. But every time that you need to navigate something inside your mind chamber that you You've just cleaned poorly, you feel more clarity 
and more calm. That's generally the feedback that we get. And what's also very common is for people to say that they feel connected again with themselves because everything that you are not are all those inhibitions or fears or false beliefs that you have about yourself in the world that are really not love-based. But you can hold on to that for a lifetime that you're not good enough, not smart enough, not pretty enough, not worth enough, just to name a few. Or if you're worried or you have depressive thoughts, then these are just habitual thinking patterns. And that's where the neuroplasticity comes in with a hyper-connected mind that you can make new connections and have these insights because with a little stress, you can fall back into those old patterns. And that's where the integration therapy comes in. If you're only aware that you're doing it, that's already a heightened consciousness or awareness. So how are you going to deal with that? If you want to cure like uh, inhabilitating anxiety with public speaking, for instance, and then you have to speak publicly and then you can freeze up and then you can blame yourself and you see, I can't do it. But if you're just compassionate with yourself, then it's a whole different matter. Then you can expand your comfort zone and plan it strategically so you can have more positive feedback when you go outside your comfort zone. And this is really the way to grow these new experiences. And this is what the integration therapy is about, to put into practice what you've experienced in your psychedelic trip. Because most of these things actually feel more real than the world that we're actually living in right now. So this is a common perspective on these ideas. This is not really neurologically proven, although psilocybin has been seen to grow new neurons. And of course, when you have these experiences, you have these new insights that can feel really healing. And I think that if you keep reinforcing these new insights and how you felt about them, that you're actually strengthening these new connections and then you're escaping your old habitual thinking patterns and that's how you can really literally change your mind to have a different emotional experience because you can appreciate the fact that if you're really anxious and i tell you yeah you have nothing to be afraid of that that's not going to work because your emotions don't speak words your prefrontal cortex speak words your emotions are in your subconscious or your small brain or your reptilian brain or even your inner child or any other metaphor that you want to give it and and that speaks emotions. And that's why the psychedelic, I think, works so well. Because you have these emotional insights. And with this quote-unquote internal dialogue, you can see through certain assumptions that you've held dear for a long time or convictions that have been there for a long time that it might not be based on anything. And a lot of trauma is healed by seeing that things are not happening to you necessarily. And if someone has hurt you, you can imagine how hurt they were. Hurt people hurt people. And it's not really you. Imagine if that was the best version of them. So yeah, there's so many things that can go on on so many levels with so many people with so many problems that having a safe bedding for these experiences is really the most important ingredient that we can bring if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. Thank you. Very sacred work because that's so important and it's so detrimental to the way we connect with ourselves, to other people, to everybody around us, our environment internally and externally. With that in mind, what do you see with multiple people? Do you have partners or family members or different people coming in doing the sessions together? Or is it more like individuals come in to do their sessions by themselves? How does that? Do you guys um, well, I can only speak from my own experience. 
experience. There's a lot of different types of psychedelics and some have a real cultural history. Like for instance, ayahuasca has a real Amazonian tradition and ceremonies that go with it. I think with mushrooms, there's a real tradition in Mexico, but having to acknowledge that all these mushrooms have been growing everywhere. And I think also certain traditions, they invite a certain characteristic. So some groups with ayahuasca, for instance, you can have larger groups. But with us working with the psilocybin truffles, we have focused primarily on small groups and or individuals. And sometimes you have a couple coming in. It's not really a social thing unless you want to make it a social thing. <laughs> but then, you know, it's better to go into nature than to try and have a therapeutic thing. And you can't really separate the two, actually. But if you close your eyes, for instance, then you're going to go inside. And whatever is going to happen there is ultimately, you know, going to have a mostly therapeutic effect. So we have never really worked with groups over five. That's the end of our comfort zone because we sometimes have our hands full with people, not that they're having a bad type of experiences but sometimes people are, are sharing stuff or need to go to the bathroom and it will be too crowded too busy in a sense so primarily we've done small groups and a lot of one-on-ones yeah. you were talking before about the integration is that just in the session like after you're done talking and then the people leave and then their time with you is over or do you have some kind of a program afterwards that is available also yes we do we actually included in the price that people have at least two integration calls with us and uh, our psychologists are there to help integrate the experiences that people have and they're mostly correlated to the intention setting that they've also done and you can imagine that that will be more of a coaching but people call it integration therapy obviously you really have to put into practice certain activities and make things more concrete for yourself and really write down how you see things work for yourself you really encourage people also to adapt certain positive changes in their life that could be anything from lifestyle changes from diet to being more in nature you can appreciate that if someone comes from a more of a toxic environment where actually problems are really manifested and they come to us and then you go back into this environment that's not going to be very conducive to a healing process this is where we come in and guide people into a uh, setting where healing can take place more positively and more compassionately and that people change their thinking about how they approach not succeeding in one go because a lot of these things they take time so it's certainly not on the same day i don't even ask people what their experiences are because it's just too impossible to frame it in wording this is what terence mckenna says you know it's not a secret because it's a secret it's a secret because people cannot express it in words it's a bit incomprehensible you know for people that have not had this experience but it's really like a dream state but you're still awake and then you can dream deeper and deeper and deeper into your subconscious that normally is not conscious obviously and that becomes more accessible and that can mean a lot of things on a lot of levels for so many different people so we don't really try to ask them and pull out what has happened but some people are more lively than others after they're coming down some are really happy and it's like what i can't believe i was so afraid for that for years this is the most fantastic thing ever or people are very silent and it also happens that people with an expanded awareness and consciousness that they find layers of maybe grief that they didn't realize that they have 
So it's not always brass band and flowers, the ticker parades, you know. So it's everything that is in your mind or metaphorically in your heart, I guess, that can come up. Like I say to people sometimes that in a child or the your younger you, if you have to acknowledge all the things you did to yourself, you had a thousand excuses to do so, but you always haven't been good to yourself. You haven't been your own best friend, you know. It's quite normal for people to have a little cry during these experiences as well. As you can appreciate, it's very emotional. And sometimes it's also true that uh, but people laugh their ass off for, <laughs> for an hour sometimes as well. And these are all also stress releases. It's all in your muscles. It's all in your body, all these traumas, metaphorically or physically even. Everything under the sun can come by and uh, it's good to have these experiences. And it's also good for all our guides that we work with, that they have a professional background. But what's more important to me anyway, is that they've had a lot of experiences with psychedelics themselves in a very positive way. And they've grown a lot as a person, but they've also messed up a lot of times. So we know what it feels like to fall off the horse and we can navigate that. So if we see something is up or we sense it, then we check in with clients and it also has happens that sometimes people suffer in silence and that we don't notice it that they can have a mind loop for instance that someone thinks oh i don't like the music but i think they're doing it on purpose you know people can suffer for hours or think they can suffer for hours while it's five minutes so that's why we check in and uh, but it's not like we check in every five minutes or that we hold people's hand we don't generally touch people unless we're invited to do so and sometimes you've got someone in your arms that is just crying or, or you just put your hand on the shoulder and that's also why there's always a man and a woman everyone needs to be safe yeah you have to be very compassionate and you have to have this empathy and to do that i think you need to have these experiences yourself it cannot really be a pill a lot of these discussions are going on obviously in the states and in canada about how you're going to organize these things i think that uh, having these experiences and these are extraordinary experiences and that's why there's so much positive research out there that it is very beneficial that people can have the feel for their clients where they are going and how that feels and having that not based on one or two experiences but a couple of decent experiences and preferably also with a couple of different compounds because these are really sacred medicines and they are natural and they work differently like i said before people's minds they are so different you cannot imagine how different everyone is so being there with an open heart and a listening ear and being perceptive to their needs is really really important why would you caution against doing this without somebody guiding you or without having somebody there sitting beside you or something like that what are the differences a bad trip I versus a good trip kind of thing these are all different things you can have a guide or you cannot have a guide and then you can still have very good experiences in both cases and the opposite is also not excluded so everything under the sun is an option but what's most important is your mindset you can appreciate that a buddha can meditate in the middle of an intersection and not be bothered but obviously we are not buddhas and people need the right setting so their mindset can be calm and open to the experience and they have the intention setting to generally focus on not too specific ideas but in broad terms to have an intention setting which creates the space in which these experiences occur i think that it is just about people's own comfort zone that will determine how safe they feel and this is also the most important aspect the safety thing so what 
what is important is that if you do it by yourself, that you create a safe space for yourself, not that the neighbor can walk in or your spouse who is not receptive to it. You don't want a cold shower and say, hey, what are you doing? Are you on drugs or what? That will be a horrible experience. So you need to shield yourself from these possibilities. And if you have a guide, you need to trust the guide and the guide needs to be trustworthy also. <laughs> because if you are totally emotional and you're dealing with a problematic issue, then you want someone there with patience and understanding and not necessarily filling it in with all kinds of advice. So these are all conditions for a safe experience. So if you do not have a guide, you don't have a lot of other things that need to check the boxes. And if you do have a guide, they can also take away a lot of external issues. If the sun is too bright, you can close the curtain or open a window or turn up or down the music or what have you. And if you trip by yourself, you need to take care of it by yourself. But I wouldn't necessarily say that one is better than the other. What we do is we guide it. And I'm always happy to advise people who want to do it by themselves. I mostly do it by myself. It's important to really be prepared. It's not to be taken lightly. And it is also, can also be a very, very positive experience. And the good thing about mushrooms or psilocybin truffles is you can easily dose it. So if you take a couple of grams, most likely you're going to laugh a lot. So this is why people do it with friends and on festivals, obviously. You're not going to sit there and close your eyes and do internal processing because then you have a much more therapeutic effect. But if you're going to dance on it, your eyes open or you're in nature, you're going to have a totally different experience. But tripping by yourself, I mostly close my eyes because that's the most beneficial thing for me personally. Because if you let your external impulse in, fire your ears and your eyes, and then you're going to absorb that world and that energy. And that can be nice at a festival or in nature. But if you're going to be indoors, you can put on nice music and close your eyes and you're going to be in a magical space. You're going to be inside your own consciousness. And to guard this space, you can opt for a guide. It's just optional. Yeah, I can imagine the possibility of where everything maybe could go if your environment is all of those negative things that are stressing you out. <laughs> And that's what you're exposed to. That doesn't sound like that would be a very beneficial thing, but possibly just push you more into that chaos. You're talking about a few grams. What's the difference? And can you explain or describe like a maintenance kind of dose or like a heroic therapeutic kind of dose? What is the difference in those? What does that mean? Well, what's a big movement and what's just absolutely fascinating is the microdosing movement. There's a great website for it called microdosing.nl and they also have an English page. They are there for information and education. The the whole idea about microdosing is to have a dose that is not psychoactive so that you don't feel it. And most of the studies that have gone into psychedelics have studied it as a psychedelic. But James Fadiman and others shed a beautiful light on all the anecdotes that people describe when they are microdosing. So what happens if I microdose is that I feel that I have less social inhibitions. I'm more likely to hand out compliments, for instance. And and I'm more likely to smile a little more and be unaware of it. What also happens is I'm more susceptible to people's energies. So my communication with people is more sensitive and more colorful, I think, maybe. It's maybe strange words, but yeah. So I, that's the difference. And it's mostly noticeable afterwards. You just had a very good day, uh, like some people say. I don't really use it in a medical type. I'm not a depressed 
person or I'm not very anxious. If you take the right dose that you don't really feel it, then it can be very beneficial. And obviously it's way more healthy than a lot of pharmaceutical drugs or even tobacco and alcohol. It's just on the other side of the spectrum. It's not addictive. You feel more connected. There's a lot of information that people can look at to, to research this type of experiences. I think it will do a lot of good for society as a whole when it becomes more available. I mean, all we need is more connection to ourselves and others and be more open-minded and being able to listen. And I think if you increase the dose, like the next step would be that you feel really, really good. And maybe, uh, yeah, what happens then is that your ego becomes smaller. So you mostly get the giggles and uh, socially or by yourself and you can just laugh at reality. And I think that's always good to laugh at this Muppet show that is going all around us. <laughs> and uh, and if, if you do more, you can dose it easily. You can really feel it more on a body level. If you then do more, yeah, you really want to lie down. And if you then close your eyes, I speak for myself, I do see relationships with others. I do have an immediate therapeutic effect. I see myself having inhibitions, seeing myself putting the brakes on certain things or with certain people or see myself be too critical unnecessarily. And I have this perspective on it. I say, oh, I don't need to be like that. Okay, okay. But it can also be anything that comes up with clients in the intention setting. With me personally, I always like to focus on the fear of losing control. And I think this is a big deal, I think, that's in general huge. with people. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, this was personally a big breakthrough with me that I focused on that once with a super high dose. It showed me that, first of all, there is no control. <laughs> and, and then that's uh, also the basis for the attachment of Buddhism. You know, the attachment is suffering. If you make it all personal or you think, I have to realize that you're afraid to let go. The world is not going to collapse without you. And there are so many layers and perspectives to it. The profoundness of these experiences are dose related. So if you would take even more, you go beyond the psychology and then your whole sense of identity can dissolve in what is called this ego death. You can have all kinds of imagery with that. People have all kinds of different experiences. You can be in the middle of the universe and be totally at peace. These are the, the, the mystical experiences. They are sometimes like religious experiences and these compounds all have a connection to our religions. That's a very interesting component. Like what are we? What is consciousness? These are the big questions. What is our place in the universe? And ultimately what I tend to say also to people is yeah look what are your regrets on your deathbed why aren't you working on those right now if you want a better connection with your kids and you want to tell them that you're sorry or you're working so hard to provide for them but they're really missing your presence and connection and you're agitated that they're working you can work on that right now what's the most important thing your kids well then why you're not playing outside with them i like to jokingly address those topics so it becomes more of a light-hearted way of discussing things that are really really important and there's enough to cry about. I think uh, addressing these more heavy issues with people in a more lighthearted way or with different metaphors makes it a safe exchange. So people also in the intention settings, so people can navigate this clearly and lightly because with a lot of issues that people deal with, there's mostly a long, long history, be it with family or be it with abuse or all kinds of different traumas. 
I know you said before that you're not a cultivator, but I think it's fascinating how the network of all the connections, mm -hmm. everything is rooted with everything yeah. else underground. To me, that's just like mirroring the connection that yeah. people feel once we yeah. realize we're not actually separated, even though we have separate bodies, we're still energetically connected. Mm. So yeah. what's your perspective on the way that each little fungus is attached to everything else and feeds the trees and the plants and everything in its environment? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. what's, what's yeah. your eye that way? Yeah, I appreciate the metaphor that we're all connected underground like mycelium and we're all part of the same network. I think spiritually that can be very true, but uh, to each his own. I think there's more to these sacred medicines and we still give it credit, I think. There's more to consciousness than we are willing to accept, not even a faculty thing. You, you can study economics or law, but no one can study consciousness. That makes it all happen. And I think also the lack of it has caused the state of the planet. And I think that these compounds will change the state of the planet on a big way. Another thing about these truffles, what I call the magic, is not that you see colors or even that you can touch God. It is the synchronicity that happens after. That if you learn to let go, for instance, or you learn to relax and just be more observant and just be more aware instead of leaning forward and grabbing the wheel very tight. And if you give it space, that somehow coincidences, quote unquote, happen. And they may be in a different color and they might not come from the left when you expect it from the right or vice versa. Uh, but this is what appears to me personally always very miraculous. I can think of a person I haven't been in touch with for 10 years or mentioned their name to a friend and then they're on the phone within 24 hours, these type of things. And yeah, it's interesting, all these seemingly energetic things that can occur once I've done ayahuasca, which really positively upset my entire world. And I decided to jump on my sailing yacht to go to the Caribbean. And then I was looking for crew to join me. And then, yeah, there were two guys. We really liked each other. And there was a lot of, okay, if I can rent out my house, if someone takes care of my cat that I like, and if this and this and this happens, I'll join you. And then all these things, they all happened. We all already decided that they're going to join us and we're going to be safe on this boat together. Ultimately, what appeared was that we had all done ayahuasca recently. And somehow this has brought us together as well. I don't know. It's not really scientific, but uh, some of these things, they seem to happen more when psychedelics are involved. It's not very scientific, but I think a lot of people can appreciate what I'm saying. I think these things are very re remarkable and they make life really more miraculous to me personally yeah i see that as well what about if somebody wants to be a guide how do they go about doing that yeah, that's interesting. I get a lot of people that come to me with this question. I think with the legalization and professionalization of this work, it really helps if you have a therapeutic background. Because I think what the world needs, and especially the world that is on the other side of the fence that have never done it, they want someone to trust. And therefore, a psychologist or a medical doctor or a psychiatrist would be the logical option, you know? Like the dancing girl at the campfire would be a bit more like, okay, we don't know what we got there. I think the reality is that personal experience is very, very important. And therefore, if you do not have a psychology degree or you're a therapist or even all these seemingly hundreds of uh, courses that are now available to become a, a certified psychedelic assisted psychotherapist, I would say do the plant medicines. 
take the mushroom, take the truffles, do some ayahuasca, have a Bufo Alvarius 5-MeO DMT experience, do it with safe people, find your tribe and let the plants show you the way because the universe works in mysterious ways and I would have never imagined that I would do this work and I was certainly not the best therapist. Uh, I'm not even qualified as a therapist, but I do have a lot of experience and I'm also leading the company. So I'm also, half of me is also the entrepreneur trying to actually make it happen and facilitate it. I am just blessed with this super great team that I have with uh, Ellen, our lead facilitator. She's a health scientist, Ella von der Poel. And then we have Luisa and Eliska. They are both PhD program neurologists and uh, therapists. They've actually also done studies into psychedelics and microdosing, and they are part of the Netherlands Psychedelic Society. And Elsa, who is a psychologist, Elsa Webb, and she's actually worked in the Amazon serving ayahuasca, and she's now working as a guide with us. And we also work with Niels, who is a positive psychologist and has his own clinic. But we all find this work to be so positively, dramatically inspiring, where you can have the opportunity to change someone's life. And that is a very delicate circumstance that we love to be involved in also because of the experience and the positive experiences that we've had ourselves and because we appreciate that it is really sort of quote-unquote sacred work in short do the plants do the work and sometimes they are no-brainers eat real food it goes on plants and comes out of the ground and do exercise and be in nature ask yourself the big questions and take the medicines because you have this world and you have the other world and it's not a cognitive thing it's a life experience so i wish it for everyone but it's not for everyone everyone has to walk their own path but that would be my advice if it makes any sense when you said there's this world and the other world what's the other world what do you mean yeah like people call the the, the psychedelic realm so i guess then what are the two different worlds that you're referring to they are called different words there are different concepts in different cultures mm-hmm. you know so you have this materialistic world where you have problem-solving states of consciousness. And linear thinking and, and things like that. Yeah, yeah, and logic. Gotcha. And you have the other realm where you have, quote unquote, higher consciousness and imagination and emotions. And it's the non-material world. It is what consciousness is. There are different cultures that call it different names. And also they differ per compound. If you have a high dose of a, of a certain compound, you can have different experiences. Like I've personally you know, felt like at one point that I've been in the middle of the universe. I really wasn't here anymore. You know, Also, for lack of a better description, seeing heaven manifest before my eyes and me being dissolved in white light. And I was 100% certain that that was that because that's the only words I can stick to it for my own vocabulary and it's very limited and so yeah you can have all kinds of experiences but one thing is for sure it's not this world and then you get the question what is your mind what is your brain is that a transceiver or a receiver a translator or it's an interesting conversation I don't know it's, I guess it's very controversial and upsetting, or <laughs> it's not uh, anything logical, let's say that. I guess that's also where we live. We live inside our minds and we live with the limitations that we put on ourselves by the words that we use. We limit ourselves. So this is also psychological in a sense or philosophical in many ways. Yeah. 
We are our own worst enemies also, you know, and if you see yourself as a window of consciousness in a vast dead universe, I guess you have to appreciate that is literally true. But most people see themselves stuck in traffic and they have to (laughs) still do groceries. Yes, yes. So, so yeah, we have to navigate between the two somehow. And I guess experiencing yourself as a window of consciousness in this value is not something that comes up very often if you don't do psychedelics, you know, so... Yeah, Yeah, that's the sacredness, the sacredness, the the spiritual connection that that I was referring to before. Now, I'm outside of Chicago, you're in Europe, all of this COVID stuff right now and travel restrictions and all of these barriers. I did see that Oregon has opened up and I know different states here are working to try to be more open into psychedelics using therapies, things like that. But for anybody that's listening that is interested in being a client, you were talking Mm -hmm. before about restrictions and things like that. What should they do? What should be their first step to be able to go towards this? People can book a free call with us and then we explain who we are, what we do, and we like to answer every question that they have. These are all free of costs. We're happy to inform people about what we do and what is important is that we resonate. It's very simple. You have to ultimately trust us and we have to trust you and so this is a process and we're happy to speak to anyone that would like more information so this is the only thing that we do we just engage and ultimately we advise people in the second and third call more about the practicalities about if we had a center now with the lockdown pull the plug on the center or we do facilitate people in airbnbs for instance and then we can advise on that and every country has, has its own restrictions so as soon as restrictions lift we get flooded with clients again so this fluctuates I would just get in contact because we can always plan it behind the horizon and people can always change the date. It doesn't really matter to us. We got a whole team here. You can just reschedule as many times as you like and it doesn't cost you a thing. So we are always open to help people or to refer them to to other organizations even. You have a very luxurious organization called Census Retreats. They do great work. They have a lot of professional people. They have a different price tag and we do things more low key. So there's flavors for everyone. And I think it's a beautiful thing that people can still come to Holland and do these things. And I can't wait for the whole world to have safe and responsible access. And yeah, we're all going to witness how this is going to unfold. But I think with so many places that are dealing with local laws, ultimately these things are going to be accessible. And I think the whole war on drug things mostly politically driven and not based on any evidence because all the evidence like now, all the scientific results and evidence is very positive. But it doesn't mean that it's for everyone and it doesn't mean that it's safe. I think we should all take responsibility and study these things and ask ourselves, am I ready for this? Am I willing to do the work? Because it's certainly not a one-stop shop pill cure-all for people's problems. It just sheds light on it in a way that can help you get less triggered or have a different perspective on things. And these have to grow and mature as you would expect, you know, from an organism. And it's never really super fast. Although we can have experiences that will change you in a day that happens too but it's just not for everyone i think what i see missing is screening professional screening medical 
and mental health screening. And uh, I've tried to solve this also or build on this with the website called psychedelicpsychiatry.com where I'm working with several psychiatrists. But I think it's very, they're putting them in a very legally vulnerable position because you cannot say if people are safe or not, but you can help them with medication and give them professional advice how to deal with it because you can go to any retreat anywhere. It doesn't really matter if it's Iboga, Ayahuasca or, or Psilocybin. If you're on medication, you need to consult your doctor and you need to do your own research because if anyone anywhere goes on any retreat has a medical or mental health problem it's going to reflect bad on the entire field but doctors can't just give you a green light it's very complicated so we like to work closely with psychiatrists and we have our own psychologists and if we feel that we can't trust a person or it's just something about it you know it doesn't need to be tangible we decline to proceed with people because we need to feel safe because we're on the mission <laughs> and the client also needs to feel safe and we welcome it anyway if they go left or if they go right so has anybody gotten worse does anybody ever come out of the experience with that really shouldn't have happened now yeah that's now a very good worse? question yeah i will honestly say that i think that happened once about 250 cases that i guided and it was someone that hadn't disclosed couple of very important things for her so it's also one of the contraindications uh, that so if you are suicidal for instance better to not do psychedelics yet and if there are really life events like breaking off a relationship for instance that you've had for 10 years if that all happens within the same week that you're doing psychedelics it's not really a great choice we can't put people on a polygraph or a lie detector and when you're running a clinic you are vulnerable to these type of occurrences and what happened to this specific case is that she felt great on the day but the next day when we're checking in to see how you're doing yeah she had heightened anxiety i advised her to go uh, on a long walk and then treat herself to something be her own best friend and also at home go work in the garden or go read a book so you actually give the monkey a banana you give your mind something to do and you actually feel good when you're circulated when you're navigating the outdoors or outside and instead of thinking 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 in a pattern that you're used to that is just triggering a lot of anxiety so when you do the work you can change yourself but it's work and you have to do things that they feel counterintuitive because you have to expand your comfort zone and that feels strange like i said in the beginning a lot of people are very desperate to have opportunities to have less anxiety or be less depressed or feel a little bit better about themselves or have a less critical voice inside and your neurology is shaped according to the safety you perceived as a child in the first seven years and that's really the comfort zone with which you enter life so if you're willing to do the work to have a calculated strategic little adventure outside of your comfort zone you want these to be rewarded and not punished by a cold shower metaphorically that's how you do this that's how you learn things and also to be compassionate not to punish yourself for, for trying but to be compassionate and this doesn't come natural to a lot of people but you don't need psychedelics to be more compassionate but sometimes it's seems to help <laughs> also in my case <laughs> the picture that was coming to me that i reference to a lot is that 
it's not really beneficial to take a child and throw them in the middle of the lake and said sink or swim to teach them how to swim yeah. you know like you want to learn how to yeah. swim so then dad brings you yeah. out to the middle of the lake and throws you in the water and then starts paddling yeah. away so then yeah. the child freaks out and panics but they learn how to swim but now they don't trust dad anymore no <laughs> you know? that's not love so that's, that's not, not love you know yeah, no yeah. no that's what i'm yeah. saying and so that yeah. a lot of people that's how they've learned how to deal with things or how to get through yeah. certain examples yeah. is like that traumatic thing yeah. like yeah. the sink or swim kind of thing whereas it's more compassionate if you actually go out yeah. there and spend the time and go over it and go over it and actually are with your child in the, the shallow water yeah you know, this is where integration is concerned we know where you have been you are in a safe place with us other people might not get you some people don't want to even discuss psychedelics it just freaks them out and it's just like a parent you want to be the safe haven for the child to be able to return to because the whole world is there for their curiosity and they're gonna get burned and they're gonna get a bruised knee we can't just make the whole world safe for them we need to be the safe harbor for them to return to we have to keep them safe when really something is up we can't be doing everything possible and watch out here and watch out there that's, that's not really what's beneficial and it doesn't give anyone any courage or comfort or self-confidence to navigate it so we have to make mistakes we have to deal with the consequences and embrace them even also if it's negative but ideally we want to reflect on it and say look that didn't go off really well you know i freaked out but i forgive myself i tried i'm courageous and this is how you can grow as a person and you can try and be your best friend and don't be critical if you can't you can try you can keep at it no one is at their end station we're always evolving but you have to feed the right wolf yeah so my last question then is are you or have you thought of considered the possibility of having any clinics or anything like that in the states or in any other countries besides the Netherlands expanding from where you're at have you thought about that yeah it's not very easy but uh, yeah we are working on it would love to have the learning curve that we had I would love others not to have it and would love to have our experience be of benefit to wherever legal access becomes a fact and so we can also help with training staff and the organization uh, being set up because it's not just about guidance it's a whole business so and obviously therapists are very people focused they're not automatically tech savvy people or very good with finance and accounting or we are working on a solution to try and facilitate this also because we can and we want to help and because it's a pandemic <laughs> we got a great project we are a definitely talking to parties to try and see if that's an option and we're going to find out in the next year if that's going to eventuate or not but if anyone is thinking of it please let them contact me we can start a conversation it would be interesting yeah, perfect. That's one thing that I just noticed actually is that when a group of people come together with a really great idea, they're not aware of the things that they're not aware of. And when there's somebody yeah. else that can see like, oh my gosh, fire, pay attention. Something's going to show up. That yeah. thing didn't just show up right in front of those yeah. new people's eyes. It was bound to happen because they weren't aware of what to do to avoid it to happen. So yeah, yeah being able to connect with you and I'm like, oh, my see them. Being able to connect with you to be able to let people know 
okay, we had this learning curve. You don't have to suffer too. We don't have to have all these casualties. Yeah. Again, yeah. we've already gone through this. That's awesome to be able to have that connection. We are looking at opening a psychedelic insights clinics. We like to give people business coaching. We like to give them access to a psychiatrist and a psychologist at a 24-7 notice. So there's a lot of things that we like to offer. We don't have a turnkey solution yet, but we're working on it. We're not there yet and we don't need to be. But if anyone is interested in anything, uh, setting up anything similar or starting your own clinic, then please feel free to come at the contact and uh, we'll see how the magic happens. Perfect. And then how can people get a hold of you? How can they find you? They can always contact me via our website, psychedelicinsights.com, or they can drop me an email on luke, L-U-C, at psychedelicinsights.com. Okay. And then I did find you on LinkedIn because of the Psyched 2020. That's where I met you back at that online thing. So awesome. Awesome. Perfect. Perfect. So thank you. Thank you so much. You just, we spent a lot of time and I really appreciate all of your information and your amazing insights. Well, it's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, anyone feel free to contact me. I'm happy to help. If even if you want to trip by yourself, we're always happy to help. We want to keep everyone safe. And uh, yeah. And I think we're all going to have a bright future. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, okay. Thank you. Bye. All right, everybody. That ends our episode for today. I hope you were able to get some helpful information to be able to live more naturally. So if you like what I had to say today and you found it beneficial or helpful, please go ahead and share. And if there's anything going on where you need to find a naturopathic doctor or for any reason you need somebody to talk to, please go ahead and call me at 586-405-7618. Or you can find me online at canassist.me. That's C-A-N-N-A-S-S-I-S-T dot M-E. This is Dr. Francis saying enjoy, have fun, and until next time.